Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg, he's David Mack, and you are watching AM to DM. Alex, we're together again. Together again. So excited. At long last. We haven't hosted together before. We've though. never hosted before, this that's is true. This exciting. And of course, Isaac and Saida are in Vegas, so we're here, like, ganging it up and making sure that it's nice and queer and AM to DM, right? Perhaps the queerest AM to DM of all time, given that I think we cover, like, three of the letters of the LGBTQIA++++. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll yeah. take it. Uh, today is also an historic day because the song Baby Shark, do 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 uh, has hit the Billboard charts. Look at that New York Times headline, I love that. The song entered the chart at number 32, outranking tunes from Ariana Grande, Billie Eilish, and 21 Savage. Uh, of course, now that we've said the title of the song, everyone has it in their heads. That's just how it I'm works. a little bit sorry about I'm that. sorry. Uh, it is perhaps maybe the most annoying song of all time. It may be the most annoying song of all time, but the people want it and they've listened to it approximately 2.1 billion times, according to YouTube's numbers. See, okay, I have a theory here because, uh, you know, kids are addicted to this song. It's like, like crack for them, like they love it. And it just goes, uh, I think like parents are just putting it on repeat on like Spotify and it's just looping, 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 looping. So it's all manufactured, surely. Sure, come on, <laughs> I have to believe. I, I think that there's some tone or note that only children can hear and parents know if they put it on enough, their kids will go into a fugue state. Do you, ha do you have a more annoying song that you think? I would say Rebecca Black, Friday. Okay, that's a That one, one is really, oof, how about you? Uh, I would agree, I would agree. I mean, I love that song, but I think it's also very annoying. Let's take it to the timeline though. What's a, a song that gets stuck in your head even just by talking about it? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to do 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 do. Well, switching gears a little bit, around midnight last night, Lady Gaga sp broke years of silence about working with R. Kelly and posted this tweet. I stand by anyone who has ever been the victim of sexual assault. In her message, Gaga said she was removing the song she recorded with Kelly in 2013 from streaming platforms and iTunes. She also blamed her decision to record the song on poor judgment and what she said was her twisted thinking as a survivor of sexual assault herself. Alex, what did you make of the apology? I thought the apology was appropriate and certainly warranted. Uh, I'm kind of in the Dream Hampton camp. Dream Hampton, of course, is the executive producer of the series, Surviving R. Kelly, in that uh, she said she was wondering why uh, Lady Gaga had performed with R. Kelly in the past, given that she's been an advocate for domestic mm -hmm. violence uh, survivors themselves. I think her statement did a good job of kind of explaining her thinking, um, and I don't think it's anyone's place to try to like rationalize, um, you know, a survivor's behavior like that. Absolutely. Uh, but I like that she put the women front and center. She opened with a statement saying, I believe his accusers, and I think that's important. Uh, but I do want to say that when BuzzFeed News first broke the story of R. Kelly allegedly holding women captive in 2017, we reached out to 43 different artists who'd worked with him in the past for comment. But we heard nothing. There were some big names on that list, including Jay-Z, Britney Spears, Ja Rule, Mariah Carey, and Justin Bieber. But there seems to be momentum all of a sudden with Chance the Rapper and now Gaga speaking out. I mean, it only takes one, right? And then suddenly I think there's a bit of a snowballing effect, right? It only takes one. It's great that Gaga has such a large star power and hopefully uh, power in general to kind of start a cascade and change the conversation. But I also think we should talk about how the past year and the Me Too movement and the work of people like Tarana Burke have really set the table so that we are perceiving survivors and their mm -hmm. stories differently. Yep. And in this case too, black women have been speaking out about R. Kelly for years and years and years, and also I think really unpacking how the forces of racism and misogyny work together to discredit his victims. I think also credit to Lifetime for bringing, building on the reporting that's been going on for a long time uh, and bringing these women. I think there's something powerful about having them directly in your lounge room, right? And hearing from them sort of almost firsthand. Uh, I think that's probably got something to do with the shift that we've seen. And in kind of thinking through what Lady Gaga said, you know, you mentioned we have to be really careful about how we understand and talk about survivors coping with their pain and their own trauma. I thought that her statement really speaks to uh, just how complicated that is and how we need to expand this conversation to talk about how you can be both a survivor and a woman and yet complicit in these symptoms because we're, these, these systems rather, because we are all operating in the kind of systems that have allowed R. Kelly to persist with this behavior for so long. Amen. Well, we'll move on to another story. Today marks day 20 of the shutdown, and we've heard about how federal workers will miss their first paycheck tomorrow. But the shutdown doesn't just impact their bank accounts. Now the impact of the shutdown could extend to your lunch. Now, the Washington Post reports that the Food and Drug Administration has suspended routine inspections of food processing facilities in the U.S. 
The agency oversees 80% of the food supply, including facilities that process seafood and vegetables. Yuck. Here to help us figure out if we're going to get a foodborne illness is BuzzFeed News science reporter Dan Vergano. Hey, Dan. Hey, good morning, folks. Good morning, Dan. Uh, what risk does this pose to the public, straight up? Uh, straight up, uh, not an immediate risk. Uh, it's more of a, a long-term concern, especially with FDA saying that they're going to resume the inspection of the high-risk facilities. Uh, the truth is that even with these FDA inspections, about 42 million people a year in the U.S. get a, a foodborne illness anyhow. Uh, so, you know, your risk doesn't change too much by them not inspecting one or two plants. Um, the worry is that for, uh, you know, a facility that uh, provides a lot of food for people, a, a big thing like the romaine lettuce, you know, outbreak recently, if there's a problem there that they don't pick up, then a lot of people get sick all at once, you have an outbreak. But that doesn't happen all the time, so them stopping these uh, inspections for now is more of a little risk that can grow into a really big one if they, did, if they continue not doing them. Oh, geez, 42 million. That is a comforting figure, <laughs> after all. Do you yeah, have a sense of, great, actually, huh? yeah. <laughs> in terms of the supply chain, what is the process like from the foods going from these plants where they're not inspected to actually ending up on grocery shelves where people could take them home and then get sick? Right, so it uh, depends on your food, but, you know, it's picked in a field somewhere. That's a place where things can get dirty. And then it's sent to, the, to a food processing center, a plant, a factory, uh, and then they're intermingled, and so things that are already dirty can intermingle with other things. Uh, you have to worry about uh, allergens uh, being mixed. Uh, the FDA inspectors are very good at going in and saying, oh, my God, you have a chute here that's contaminated with peanuts, and it's you know, feeding into a product that uh, is supposed to not have that, and so you're going to pick up these allergens, uh, sort of good manufacturing practices. They basically are... Um, uh, the brakes on, uh, or the more like the warning light to these manufacturers that they might be mixing up things they shouldn't. So you have uh, places where there's mold, and that gets into the food, and uh, inspectors pick that up. And so it takes about you know uh, days to weeks for food to go from the factory to the to your shelves. It's sitting there on the grocery store. Uh, you mentioned uh, that they're still going to keep inspecting what's called high risk foods. I'm wondering how that gets determined. What's a high risk food? Basically, things that have made people really sick in the past, uh, things that can spoil easily, uh, you know, that's your cheeses, uh, your dairy products, uh, and uh, things like lettuce, you know, things like uh, vegetables that, you know, uh, if they aren't handled right or if the uh, people um, in the field are, you know, not given bathroom breaks, they end up soiled, um, those things can make people sick. So you want to pay attention to those because there's a track record there. And, you know, the inspectors have a pretty good idea of places where, you know, it's high risk. Uh, things like making sure that the Quickie Mart isn't selling tobacco to minors, that's not such a big deal uh, during a shutdown. Well, that all is good to know. I'm going to stick with packaged foods, I guess, for the next couple of weeks. But, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Very good. Thank you again. Now, uh, Alex, I have a secret to tell you uh, because uh, I want to let you in on a secret the way that the news team works downstairs, it works. right? Well, we try to uh, predict certain major events so that we're ready for things that when they happen that, you know, we've got stuff ready. So the most famous being, you know, when famous people die, like, you know, you want to have some sort of nice obituary ready to go if they're quite old. Uh, but another big one that's been looming over us for a long time is what might happen to Rod Rosenstein, right? This guy at the uh, Justice Department who has been overseeing the Mueller probe for a long time. And there is like a whole story, you know, series of stories ready to go if something happens. And we had for years, we had this plan of like who to call and what might happen because for so long no one's known and there's been this big fear around him, right? Well, David... <gasps> Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Zoe Tillman. As the official overseeing Mueller, Rosenstein became something of a folk hero on the left. Remember Ben Folds and Mr. Peepers? With people threatening to take to the streets if he were ousted. But reaction today has been more muted. A look at why. Zoe joins us now to discuss her latest story on why no one seems to care about Paul Rod Rosenstein anymore. Zoe, good morning. Good morning. Uh, two things. What is the latest with Rosenstein? And please remind us, what the hell does Ben Folds have to do with this? 
So uh, Rod Rosenstein is our deputy attorney general. He's the number two official at the Justice Department. And until recently, he was overseeing the Mueller probe. Remember, the former attorney general, Jeff Sessions, was recused from the Russia investigation. That meant that Rosenstein became the top official in charge. And one of his first moves was to appoint Mueller as the special counsel. Um, so I should say at the onset, Rod Rosenstein is still at the Justice Department. He has not left. Um, what's changed is that we have a new acting attorney general, Matthew Whitaker. And uh, that acting attorney general, we recently learned, has not recused from handling the Russia investigation, which means he is now the person who decides whether Mueller stays or goes. Um, as far as we know, Rod Rosenstein is still involved in overseeing the day-to-day -day operations of the investigation, but he's no longer the person in charge of Mueller's fate. So what happened yesterday was there were reports that Rosenstein is going to leave. Um, and normally that kind of news would spark widespread panic. Is there going to be some kind of constitutional crisis? Is he being forced out? Is this an effort by Trump to interfere with the probe? Oh my God. Um, but there was not a whole lot of that. And that's because Rosenstein's role in all of this has changed in some pretty uh, significant ways. Is there a sense that the Mueller probe is safe or is that kind of thinking misplaced? I think for now, there's no indication that anyone is trying to stop him doing what he's doing. Trump has been pretty quiet on the investigation recently. He seems to be concerned with other things going on right now. I don't know what that is. Um, but, you know, Mueller has been just kind of doing his thing, and we've never heard from Robert Mueller. We have no idea what he's thinking or where he's at. Uh, but for now, uh, it seems to be business as usual. And I should say, I forgot to answer your very important Ben Folds question. Um, <laughs> the most important part of this story is that when Rosenstein was in charge of the probe, um, he was seen as a real protector of Mueller and the independence of that office to the point that singer-songwriter Ben Folds wrote a song in his honor called Mr. Peepers based on a, a reported nickname that the president had for our deputy attorney general who wears glasses. Well, I mean, you've got Ben Folds writing songs about him to suddenly no one really giving a hoot if he's leaving. I'm wondering, Zoe, what changed in DC? Why, why does no one seem to be freaking out anymore? Liberals are concerned, I would say, just not, as you said, sort of freaking out. Um, you know, since he's no longer the person who Trump could order to fire Mueller, uh, that really takes him out of the spotlight as a key player in the investigation that's now on Matthew Whitaker as the acting attorney general. And then there's a, a line of succession at the Justice Department if Whitaker refused an order to fire Mueller. Rosenstein could still be back in play as the number two, um, but for now he's he's not the top official. Um, there's also the fact that Democrats control the House. Uh, sources yesterday told me that they now see that as another check on Trump in terms of interfering with the investigation, where if there was some kind of effort to intercede, um, Democrats are in a position to call people to testify, to issue subpoenas, to serve as more of a watchdog than many thought Republicans uh, in Congress served when they controlled both houses. Um, and then finally, there's just the fact that um, it's kind of normal for officials who have served in this kind of role for about two years to leave. That kind of turnover is natural, and this is um, so far seen as something that Rosenstein is doing on his own terms. It's not as though Trump has been tweeting, I hate my DAG, and then suddenly there's an announcement that the DAG is leaving. It's been kind of quiet, and Rosenstein, as far as we've heard, had always envisioned this as a two-year job. So this is a say, natural cycle as opposed to something unusual. No, you did say DAG there, D-A-G, Deputy Attorney General, not dad, right? I hate my dad is was, what I first said there. Okay, DAG. It All right. was DAG. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, yeah. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us. Always. Well, stay tuned because I'm going to be talking about Lindsay Lohan's new show, plus the one and only Terry Crews is here, and he'll be helping David read some fire tweets. But first... Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed news reporter, politics reporter Nitty Prakash. Good morning, Nitty. Hi, good morning.
Morning, Nitty. Let's start with this tweet uh, from Lysandra Villa. I have confirmed that Trump said bye-bye and, in fact, offered Butterfingers, M&Ms and Baby Ruths. We think Skittles too, per source, who added Trump constantly spoke over Pelosi. Now, of course, that's about this meeting yesterday where Trump offered uh, bad candy to uh, the people in the Oval Office. Nitty, I'm wondering, as a fellow Aussie, what do you think the equivalent of bad Aussie candy is at a high-stakes meeting? Or lollies, as we would say. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I think the thing that's always at the bottom of the bowl that no one wants are like the crunchy bars or the bounty bars. What do you think? I love crunchies. I would have said minties, but I do you? very Australian just for <laughs> us. Sorry. Okay, sorry, Alex. I don't know what any of these candies are about, so let's move along. Here's a tweet from CNN's Manu Raju. In Graham's office, GOP senators discuss an immigration deal. $5.7 billion for the wall plus provisions to entice Dems. DACA, TPS, H2B visas. Kushner told them if it has the wall money and can pass in the Senate, White House would be open to further talks. Republicans now plan to pitch to Democrats. Uh, this is interesting, to which Politico's Jake Sherman replied, it's been shocking to see how little the White House understands Pelosi. Nitty, are the Republicans trying to go around Pelosi here, and why is that such a bad idea? So basically, ultimately, they do need her on board if there's going to be an agreement here. Um, and I think the underlying thing that it appears that they might be missing is that she has actually no political motivation to go along with their plans unless they actually directly engage with her and, uh, you know, suggest something that she might want. No political plans. Well, what are Trump and the Senate Republicans planning to do now that we're entering day 20 of the shutdown? So uh, they are meeting to discuss what else they can offer up. Uh, I, the barrier, as always with that, has been what the president will ultimately sign off on. Um, so the negotiations are going a few different ways at the moment, and I guess there's three separate groups trying to figure out what the president will accept and what the Democrats will accept. Um, it's, uh, at this point, doesn't look like there's anything coming up that will be accepted by both the president and the Democrats. Trump's heading to the border today, though, right? And I'm wondering, is this just one big photo op or is there going to be anything substantive coming of this? It's hard to say what exactly substantively will come of it. Uh, definitely, you know, to be seen down there and to make his pitch from down there is, I guess, a strategic move on his part. Um, there have been lawmakers who have been going down to the border over the past several months. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to say what exactly will come of that. And, you know, we haven't got a clear idea of whether he'll uh, say anything beyond what he's already said about pitching the wall. Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Federal employee unions are demanding an end to the shutdown and are organizing members to protest, but they aren't legally allowed to encourage members to go on strike while not being paid. Nitty, why aren't federal employees allowed to protest? So this is a federal law uh, that's been around for a long time, and it basically it prohibits them from striking and walking off the job, even if they're not being paid, but it even prohibits them, prohibits them from even talking about it. So you're saying that if I go to the airport and I meet one of these TSA people that are working for free at the moment, they're not being paid, right? And if I said to them, you know, thanks so much for your doing, aren't you pissed off about this? They're not allowed to even say anything in response? They're not allowed to say, I'd like to strike, but I can't. They're not allowed to say that that's even an intention that they would consider under this law. Damn, this story highlights uh, TSA workers in particular, but what's happening with other federal workers? So TSA workers are definitely one group, but there's, you know, altogether around 800,000 workers who are being affected by this shutdown. Uh, and so there's a lot of other groups that are also being basically asked to go to work without pay with an indefinite kind of, there's no sense of when they'll get a paycheck. They're still showing up to work. Um, and then there's another group of employees, hundreds of thousands of people who are just followed and waiting around who have been banned from going to work and getting paid. And I think that's a frustrating situation for every single one of those people. I think it's important as well to keep those numbers in our mind as well. We can talk about the shutdown in kind of conceptual terms and these huge numbers, but those are people and those are families and these are, you know, children missing birthday parties and people are not able to pay rent and health insurance. This is serious stuff that we're talking about. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, focusing on the human element here is always important for both sides. So thank you very much, Nidhi, for keeping us up to date. Thank you. Well, up next, Terry Crews is here for a very special edition of Fire Tweets. I am so excited. Stay tuned.
welcome back. This is a very special edition of Fire Tweets. As you can see, I'm joined by actor Terry Crews, who's going to help me today. Terry, welcome. What's up? How this you is doing? So Good. Good to be here. I just said to you as you walked on, very few people have had this honor to join us at the Fire Tweets. I know. I feel the, the glory of what this is. <laughs> You, you humor us. Uh, I, so you, we've talked about this, so I'm gonna go first and I'll show you how it's done. Are you okay, ready? Okay. Here we go. Todd Pappy tweeted, blind date, Jeff Bezos. I bought you flowers, her. Oh, thanks, that's very sweet, Jeff Bezos. I see you've liked flowers. Perhaps you'd like these other flowers. I mean, you, uh, do you have Amazon orders that you're getting all the time? Uh, uh, listen, like, first of all, uh, uh, Amazon is it's like Christmas every day. <laughs> and my wife gets really, really irritated. <laughs> She's like, you all, there's boxes at the gate. Why yes. are you, please get these boxes out of here. But it feels like I'm opening a new thing and it just, it's, like it's, it's really satisfying and it's very addictive. I love it's it. Very love addictive. It. All right, this is you now. Here we okay. go. Okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> I'm about to fire up some tweets. Ah! Okay, I asked my son if he cusses when I'm not around and he stoically nodded. I won't lie to you. I do, but it makes me look cool and I don't dress cool enough not to. <laughs> You know, we asked our kids that yeah. same question. And same and, and, and we, one of them said, no, I don't. I'm like, you're lying. We know you're lying. And the other one was very, very honest and was like, yeah, but what mom, you do it too. And dad, I see you do it on TV. And then you Fair feel enough. like I'm guilty. What are their tells when they're lying? How do you know? Yeah, uh, you know what? My, my, my little daughter, she, she, she sucks her thumb. Mm. <laughs> I used but to do that, yeah. But she gets really nervous, you can tell, and then she looks away. Like right after she tells a lie, she'll look away very fast. Uh -oh. And it's like, you just lied. She's like, no, I didn't. Uh. <laughs> and you see that little look away. She's been, uh, she's been spotted. All right, here we go. Okay. Here we go, next one. Ian Robertson tweeted, you, let's get this bread. J.D. Salinger, an intellectual, let's catch this rye. That's a, that's an English joke right oh, there. English major joke, sorry. Wow, that, that's that a, was, woo. Okay, sorry. Ah, that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a little stale. It worked out oh, fair ah, enough, all right. Didn't like that bread. Ah, ah, you see that? that? Y'all see that? <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're up, here we go. Okay, okay, here we go, and... So, my neighbor's dog only has three legs, and this fucker named him Tripod. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, shout out to uh, <laughs> some colleagues of ours who have a dog that only has three legs now, and her name's Peggy, and they call her Three Leg Pegs oh, as well. That's I know. Cute. These three little dogs. You, are so when you cute. see them try to walk, dude, it's like, oh. Have you got any pets? Have you got a dog? Yes, yes. I have a little dog, a little, a rescue, I have to say. A rescue. Named Jasper. He's a little pit bull mix. He's the cutest thing. With four legs. Yeah, he's got all four legs. All four legs. Okay, All four legs. All right. John Paul Brammer tweeted. Me, I'm tired of washing my body every day. It should wash itself. My brain, technically every time you wash it, is washing itself. Me, oh no. <laughs> I have a feeling JP might have been high when he wrote that. I'm yeah, sure. that but sounds like me when I was about 14. <laughs> You know what I mean? I did not like water. I did not like, like water, not? did not like bathing. And then finally, the girls were like, you stink. You stink, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, you don't smell now. So no, not at all, not at happened. all. I've learned, I've grown. Why were you afraid of water? You know, it's weird. You just, as a guy, you're just like, man, I'm gonna work out again, and I'm gonna work out again. And just, there's no showering. And, but all of a sudden, again, it was people, it, once people start talking about you, it's that a wrap. When the girls start going, oh, God, they don't want to be around you. It's, it's, I gotta say, I love you, Terry, but that is disgusting. Isn't it that horrible? Is, uh, you but that's 14. Out. That's 14 years old, okay. and then all of a sudden you realize, okay, I gotta, I gotta go. No, up. okay, hard pass on that. All right, here we go. We're gonna okay. do this one together. We push our buttons together. Right, you ready? ready? Yeah. Queen of the day. This is you. Okay, uh, <laughs> I keep this pic of myself in my wallet so I can see it when I'm about to waste money on things I don't need. Who's that from, by the way? That's you. That's yeah. <laughs> You know what? That was one of the best things ever. This guy did that. Yes. And I, I, I saw the look on my face, and he was like, it's really, really helping me. Yep. And you know what I said? That's a good idea for me, too. Because I spend money like crazy. People think that I'm frugal, but yeah. I am not. I You're just looking at your face. There's a trail of 20s that follow me in the mall. They just fall out <laughs> of my pocket. I like Can to I spend. Can I have one? It's really, <laughs> you see? Can like, I have <laughs> But my wife makes sure she's right there scooping them up. I right like that. Her. So this is like this is like your own little like angel and demon on your shoulder this thing, but you have your own little photo of yourself. I know. You. Okay, but I like it's, that. It's what you need. It's what you need. I like it. Okay, well up next, because Terry and I are sitting down and talking about Brooklyn Nine and America's Got Talent and Susan Boyle. I'm so excited. Yes. The uh, stay tuned. It's going to be really fun. So please don't go anywhere. All right, let's break this button.
Well, this is the sit down, and I'm here admiring uh, Terry Crews' shoes. He is the host of America's Got Talent, the champions, and star of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Terry, thank you so much for joining oh, thank us. Thank you for having I'm me. So, I, I, these shoes are incredible. They're hand painted. We'll try, <laughs> we'll, tr we'll try to get a shot of them later. I paid them very well, though. This okay, is good. not slave labor. Okay, good. This, is, the, the, this is done by an artist. Okay, good. Okay. They're beautiful. Uh, I have to ask. You were at the Globes on Sunday, oh. and I want to know what do you think of uh, how uh, Andy did as host? Andy was amazing. You yeah. know, one thing is. It's, it's a thankless job. Yeah. First of all, I mean, you, there's a million ways anything can go wrong yeah. and only one way to do it right. And he and Sandra did it great. Yeah. I thought they did a great job. And, uh, and my thing is, anybody who's trying to pick apart little things, you're just talking about very, very small, small details. Like, uh, But other than that, it's like, dude, it's the, it, you, you're doing your thing, man. It's the Golden Globe. And everybody was drunk anyway. <laughs> That, that is the one thing about the Globes, right? It, you can confirm everyone is like hammered in there. Holy right? cow, man. People are stumbling around and bumbling. Name names. Name oh, names. No. Right? Who did you see? <laughs> Who was throwing up? It was like Nicole Kidman in the bathroom. Oh, with dude, it, it was a lot. You, you, know, you got a lot of yelling in the background. And like, oh, yeah, I like that. I like it. You're like, oh, wow. I can't believe. <laughs> you know, that's when people start, they can't hear their own yeah. volume. You know they're drunk. Okay. Yeah, that's like me, too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, look, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is coming back, yes. and you guys are on NBC this time. You got right. saved famously last yes. year. But I'm interested, though, like, now that that's happened, do you feel that you have sort of more creative freedom being at a new network, or is it kind of the opposite in that you're worried about, like, the same thing happening again and you have to play it safer? No, actually, we had more restrictions at Fox. Really? Well, uh, unbelievably, you would think, oh, man, you know, they're on the fringes, and, you know, Fox is this network out here, so they can do more. Uh-uh. In fact, we, we could not do any bleeping out. You could not do any fuzzy nudity and all that stuff. Really? But now, there's lots of bleeping. Okay, good. Lots of fuzzy nudity <laughs> on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's like Brooklyn Nine-Nine after dark. I love that. You know what I mean? Okay. If you ever had a hardcore movie version yes. of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that's what you're going to see on NBC right now. And then if you stay up past midnight, you get the real nudity. That's when that happens. <laughs> yeah. um, you have been campaigning, though, to get The Rock to guest star. Yes. And I want to say, look, uh, I'm sure The Rock watches this show. He's a huge fan of mine, personally, I'm sure. Um, but I want to say, this is your opportunity right now, please. Uh, for The Rock, what is your message? Dwayne, come on, man. You got the Titan Games. It leads off. You can have the whole two hours to yourself, dude. <laughs> Titan Games, and then you just walk over to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, come on our show. It'll be beautiful. They'll have a two-parter, and it's two hours of Dwayne Johnson, DJ. You hear me, man? Let's go, dude. Let's rock this out. <laughs> And then we'll end it with a nice little arm wrestling competition, go work out, have a protein shake, and do all that good. <laughs> I, I would watch that, I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, would yeah, watch I'm it. watching yeah, that yeah. now, arm wrestling, you too. Uh, you have been calling this Terry Crews Week because, yes. of course, you're hosting America's Got Talent, the champions, right? Uh, and I want to know, as you're hosting this, how does that compare to, you know, your high school talent hosting days? Wow, you know, it's funny because I was, I had a very, very strict mom. Mm -hmm. um, she would not let us listen to secular music, wouldn't let us dance, wouldn't let us go to movies. It was very like hardcore mm -hmm. religious stuff. And everything that I do now, I couldn't do when I was a kid. Uh, I begged her, okay, she wouldn't let me be in a talent show. She said, I want you out there shaking your booty. But I said, can I host the show? So I got a chance to host my high school talent show and not knowing that I would eventually be hosting the biggest talent show in the world. America's Got Talent. Yeah. And I'm literally the biggest host in the world. So I, it's kind of the it's way it worked true. out. Yeah. Uh, I'm big, I'm boisterous, I love this. But the main thing I love more than anything is the stories of each act. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of my own life. I, mean, I remember being in Flint, Michigan, looking out my window going, man, one day, I really want to show people who I am and what I can do. And, and just I just want to be someone mm. that people respect and honor, you know? And that's all these acts are. They've been, you know, practicing in relative obscurity for years and years, never knowing if they'll ever get the shot yeah. to, to show it. And then that's what we give them. And that's what Simon Cowell has given people. It's crazy. A lot of people look at him as if he's some kind of like, oh, man, he's cruel. He's mean. No, he's this man is one of the most beautiful people who really, really has blessed every member of the, of the whole talent family and put so many people on. It's crazy, man. I, I really am thankful for him.
I mean, speaking of people that have been on the show, you just had Susan Boyle, Susan the Boyle. Susan Boyle, reappear on the show. What was it like to hear her sing in real life? But listen, first of all, um, her story is, again, beyond yeah. incredible. And when she came out, I, my wife and I were in tears. Yeah. You know, I, we actually watched it. We were playing, we, were, we were sitting there like, my God, what a story. And she's a legend. Yeah. And that's what this thing is, though. What, I'm do what I am hosting is the Champions Edition. Yes. You're talking about people who've already won, yes. already done memorable things, and from 194 territories all around the world. So it's the best of the best. It is the best of the best. I want to switch gears a little bit because uh, after the Surviving R. Kelly documentary aired the other night, yes. you tweeted this. Uh, so proud of the women telling their truth. It's finally time for the music industry to be held accountable. I'm wondering, uh, we've seen Lady Gaga put a statement out this morning That's on right. this. I'm wondering, what, what does accountability look like to you? What, what should happen? You know, I, I, I said this before, right here in this chair, yes. that, you know, it's, it's not a man's job to speak for women. Mm -hmm. and, but what accountability looks like for me is when a man holds, a, me I, being a man, holding another man accountable. You know, when you see things that you are, uh, you're watching harassment, you're noticing things that are wrong, you see molestation, it's crazy. I mean, you can go back to, I can go back to college, and I remember uh, fraternities and the whole thing, and they're like, they're literally talking to each other like, hey man, we got this girl drunk, man, we got her back here. They're calling their friends and letting them know that this girl is incapacitated. That is the, it's been the mindset that has set us off on an evil bend forever. And I'm telling you, there's things that's culturally, there's things that, you know, as a man that we, we've learned to look the other way. And I say this as a guilty party. I remember looking the other way when a girl was uncomfortable and guys were doing their thing and you just go, hey man, you know, boys will be boys, man. Guys are guys, that's what we do. But, and then going back like, damn, I should have said something. But you didn't. Yeah. Now, this is what I'm calling for. For me, as a man, yep. women have been saying this for years. Women have already said, hey, help us. This is terrible. Hey, guess what? I got molested. I did it. Especially when you look at the R. Kelly thing, black women have been saying this for years. And when you have our culture, black men who've been ignoring it, who've been defending guys like R. Kelly. I remember being in church and there, you know, these older predator men walking around literally trying to deter was, you know, to turn a girl out or turn a guy out. And I'm like, the fact that we even had a term for it mm. lets you know how often it happened. And I was like, and we, we were looking the other way, but now I'm demanding that men everywhere in any of these cultures demand the accountability from each other. Yeah. And we have to speak up, we have to be more vocal. There are not enough men in prominent positions saying these kind of things. I want to start it off. I'm just kicking it off. And I'm inviting all the celebrities, all the men everywhere. If you are in a prominent position, please just join in. Just speak. Just say something. Because the more we talk, the more this problem will be eradicated. Amen. Can you? I'm sorry. I, I just no, went on I, preaching. I, I, I'm preaching I right love now. it. Can you please run for president? Because like <laughs> right now, like I, this is incredible. You're leading a movement. And I got to say, after your tweet, I saw a bunch of tweets like this. Shout out to Terry Crews. He spent all all of 2018, longer I'm sure, trying to have a conversation about sexual abuse and harassment of black men and you all clowned him for it. But now that R. Kelly is being held accountable, it's time to have the conversation Terry Crews tried to give you all. Um, do you feel like more understood now that this is happening, this big conversation? Yeah, I do, I do. I mean, for one, you remember, I, I, I wrote a book in 2014 that was all about my adventures as a toxic man. Mm. I mean, the people in my life, my, my wife, my kids, they know they knew me as a, a, a toxic, toxic guy. So the, the problem is, I'm telling you, I'm guilty. Mm. I'm telling you, I I know exactly why someone would actually look at me and go, "Man, you too big to be molested." Yeah. But then all of a sudden, let me say you, through my years and what I've learned is that I was wrong. I had it wrong, and I conceded. This, I tell people all the time, men need to concede. The only way. There's going to be healing is when you admit you were wrong. You just say, man, you know what? I didn't get this right. You tell me what I need to do to fix this. See, because what's happening is you got, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do to fix all this. And it's like, no, no. In fact, in fact you tell me.
how I can help you, how I can fix this for you. And let me tell you something, it's a magical thing starts to happen. I went to my wife, I was like, how can I fix this for you? And she let me know every day, it still does. Hey, this is what I need. This is how you treat me. This is what goes on. And the problem is when you're defensive as a man, you're not listening. Yeah. And men need to stop being defensive and concede. I mean, <clears throat> I'm hearing you talk all about this, and this is incredible. And I, everyone could, how can anyone disagree with you on this? And I'm just wondering, you, I know you're close with Kevin Hart, and I'm wondering this stuff that you're saying about listening to the people and sort of being, you know, then becoming an ally and an advocate. As in, you know, I'm wondering, do you think he's done enough to listen to the LGBT community? He was on TV yesterday, very defensive. And there's been a lot of controversy about his apology. Is that something that you think he's sort of done the right track there? Well, you know, it's 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 wild because, you know, he feels like he's being attacked. You know, I mean, and, and that's he's right to he is right to feel the way he feels. I am not here to tell anybody. Like it's like telling somebody you're too sensitive. Mm. You know what? If you're sensitive, you feel it. You know, my I, I, my thing is, you react the way you feel. He feels like he's being attacked, mm. but the truth is, the truth is, he's not. That's the truth. The truth is, Kevin, you're not being attacked. The truth is, we, you have to just acknowledge what, what went on and acknowledge the pain of other people. That's all anybody is asking for. That's it. But, but this is the deal. People do make you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, uh, there's times when my wife says something and I feel attacked, but I'm wrong. You understand what I mean? She's like, you did this, and then and I'm like, no, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. And, and there's defenses. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you can get hardened, and you can do it. But you know what the hard part is? The hard part is when you put down the defenses, and you say, wait a minute, I'm not listening. Even, listen, mm-hmm. even if you don't agree, you have to respect and know what another person is feeling is different. Again, it's almost, it's really abusive to call somebody too sensitive. Yeah. Because if I offended you, I'm sorry. It's like if I go to another country, and I go to another country, and I put my hand in a bowl that's for drinking, and I think it's a finger bowl. And you know what? Let me tell you, I didn't know. I didn't know I offended you. I had no idea. But the whole place is like, ah. All of a sudden, you know what I have to do? I have to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm not from here. Mm-hmm. Please, you tell me what I did to offend you. Yeah. But instead, if I said, no, y'all just don't understand. You know what, where I'm from, we dip our hands in these things. Mm, wrong move. So the whole point is, everyone just needs to calm down. Mm-hmm. Calm down and listen. Listen. And that's my thing. I've been practicing it nonstop for me. There are a lot of things that I've been listening to and and just hearing, and they would think that, even I said in the past that I'm like, oh man, I totally got that messed up. Who doesn't do yeah, that? Yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Listening, so important. I have to, you, you talked last year a lot about how when you shared your story, you sort of felt you would walk into rooms in Hollywood and it would divide, oh, yeah. right? People would talk to you or people would ignore you. Has that changed at all in their sort of, you know, advocacy that you've been doing? Has the mood shifted? Uh, you know what, it, it, it has changed, it has changed, but the room still splits. You know what I mean? Is the room still splits? It's funny because you can go on and people are like, I'm, somebody sent me a tweet and they said, you know what? You know, toxic masculinity built this country. And I'm going, no, it didn't. Mm. You know, no, it didn't. What happens is you just feel like you making everybody uncomfortable makes everybody work harder. Mm. That, that's not the case. And my deal is when I go into a room and, and, it, and it splits down the middle and the whole thing, what I've noticed though, and the good thing is, is that the people who are good, the people who are with me, the people with the right mindset is what I want to say. They are gravitating to me. So I ignore the people with the wrong mindset. You understand what I mean? And this is what I I have to do, and I've said this before, it's it's not to hate the bad, Mm. but just to love what's good more and more. I've learned trolls online, I've learned don't engage them but you know, just engage the people who love you and are cool with you. And you go, hey man, it's all good because you always notice the troll first. Yeah. But there's like a million people that are like, I love you, you're doing great, it's awesome. You know, hello. Yeah. And you ignore them. Yep. And then you go to that one troll who's like, you stink. Yep. And you're like, oh. Yep, I feel like you're reading I'm, me I'm, right now. I'm no, telling you, man, yep. I'm telling you. This is this is like a, a social media, you know, This is uh, intervention, session. this is therapy. It, it is therapy this, yeah. because you have to ignore 
yeah. the, the person that does it. But, the, but when you love those who love you more and more, your life gets better. Your circle gets better. You know what I mean? It becomes a safe place. You, 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 there's a time when you have to leave all the other stuff and, all the, and then go home to your yeah. family that love you. Amen. And they will take care of you. Amen. This is, I feel reborn listening to you. You're calling on everyone to listen, and I think everyone should listen to you. Th Terry, thank you so much. For oh, man. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Uh, thank you can catch Terry Crews on America's Got Talent, The Champions, on Mondays, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Thursdays, both on NBC. Stay tuned for more AM to DM. Thank you so much. I'm just like... Oh, From Jessica Luther. I honestly can't say enough about season two of In the Dark, which looks at the case of Curtis Flowers, a black man who has been tried six times for the same murder by a white DA with troubling and racist practices. You should listen to this podcast. I totally agree. I just binged the whole thing, and I am so excited to be joined now by Samara Freemark, senior producer for the podcast In the Dark with American Public Media. Samara, I've heard your voice so many times. I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity right now. Oh, I wouldn't go that far, but thank you for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here to talk about the show. So I think the number one thing that when people start the podcast that is on their mind, certainly on my mind, is how is it possible for Curtis Flowers to have been tried six times for the same crime? Because obviously we think about double jeopardy, but that doesn't really apply in this case. Right. That was, of course, one of the first questions we had, too, when we started working on the story. Um, and, and you're exactly right. So double jeopardy applies if you've been acquitted of a crime. So if you if you go to trial and you're acquitted, you can't be tried again. But Curtis Flowers has never actually been acquitted. He's uh, he's had his conviction overturned by higher courts on appeal. He's had hung juries where the jury can't decide. Um, but in those situations, the DA can just decide to try it again, which is what has happened over the past more than two decades. So six times in total. You guys got so in-depth with your reporting. I think that was one of the most interesting things for me as a journalist to listen to. All of the data you guys collected and how long it took. And especially, you focused on Doug Evans, who is the prosecutor in this case. And you looked at a lot of different trials he had tried and his history with selecting juries. What did you find? Well, we knew that in the Flowers case, uh, Doug Evans had a history of striking black people off the jury. Um, which is, it's unconstitutional to strike someone off a jury because they are Black. And uh, Doug Evans had been called out for this in the Flowers cases uh, a couple of times. But our question was, what is going on in all of the other cases that Doug Evans has tried in his many, many year tenure as DA? And you would think this would be something that would be tracked because this is a constitutional question, but it turns out that it is not tracked. There's very little data on what goes on in jury selection everywhere in the country. And so finding the answer to this question um, took this immense data reporting project where our reporters had to go courthouse by courthouse scanning trial records for all of these trials. It ended up being 115,000 pages of documents. And then we had to take all these documents, our data reporter crunched the numbers on them. And this whole process took months and months and months. And at the end of it, we could offer an answer, which was that Doug Evans uh, struck black potential jurors off juries at four and a half times the rate of white potential jurors, um, which is really a striking finding that, that took a lot of time to reach. Yeah, I've never had listening to someone talk about scanning documents was so exciting in my life. <laughs> Good. We were it was a it was a production challenge how to make how to how to show the drama in something that was a, a really grueling task. I, I was dramatic to me. I, I was I was on the edge of my seat. Okay, so I just finished the last episode actually last night, mm -hmm. and since then the case has made its way to the Supreme Court. Can you talk about the updates since then? Sure. So uh, this past fall in November, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, granted cert, which means they agreed to hear the case of Curtis Flowers, his appeal of his sixth trial. This is very rare. Um, the court only grants cert in maybe one percent of the cases that, that ask for it. Um, so the fact that they said they would hear the case is uh, was surprising, I think, to everybody. Um, so they will, uh, oral arguments haven't been scheduled yet, but they'll probably happen in March or April, and then a decision will come down before June. Um, and what that means is, well, we don't know how the court will decide, but they could uphold his conviction, in which case the, the, uh, his case would move into what's called post-conviction, which is where new evidence is introduced. Um, but if they overturn the conviction, uh, then it's back in the hands of the DA, and, and the same DA who's tried the past six 
six trials um, will have to decide whether he wants to bring this case a seventh time. Uh, the case looks very different now, I will say, um, because of, of it, in addition to some other things, the, the work that we did, um, the, the evidence in the case looks a lot different now than it did before trial, the previous trials. Yes, I'm curious, have you guys, the podcast came out a while ago, I'm curious if you guys have seen there be any backlash towards the DA since then, because he does not come off as a very sympathetic character in your podcast, to put it lightly, or obviously you guys dug up so much more evidence, so do you think that it is going to be different this time, and what has the reaction been from the community? So I would say the reaction from the community has been split um, along, in many cases, along racial lines. Um, so there has not been an enormous outcry against Doug Evans from the white community in Winona. Um, there has been a lot of anger, I think it's fair to say, on, on behalf of a lot of Black residents of Winona. Um, there have been people who filed bar complaints against Doug Evans, which is one of the mechanisms you can use if you're seeking accountability for a prosecutor. Uh, Doug Evans is up for election um, this this coming uh, year, and no one has announced that they're going to run against him yet, but that's a possibility. As far as our findings, yeah, we know, um, so various findings of ours, the jury work, but also a lot of the other stuff, we, we did a lot of work around uh, a jailhouse snitch who recanted to us around another suspect, around another potential murder weapon. Um, all of that material is being included in, in filings by the defense team. So that's all made its way into legal documents, both before the Supreme Court and also in the post-conviction petition, which is the other, um, the other way this could proceed. Well, we have to end it there, but I encourage everyone to listen to the podcast because it's truly the, one of the most enthralling things I have ever listened to. Samara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can listen to season two of In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts and more AMCDM is up next. This week, the, put, the Cut published a piece called Can Lindsay Lohan Find Redemption on Reality TV? Anna Peel wrote that story and joins me now on Throwback Thursday to discuss the journey and career of Lindsay Lohan. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I want to get into the story that you wrote. Her new show just premiered, and this is what you write. It, quote, encourages you to root for her to succeed in a new way on her terms. How is that a departure from what we've seen Lindsay Lohan do in recent years? Well, it seems like... Lindsay has been wanting to get back into acting, at least the way that she's talking about herself in interviews. And this is sort of abandoning that. Her last reality show, Lindsay, which was an Oprah Winfrey Network show, was sort of about like, okay, how do I get back into acting? How do I become an A-list actress again? Why aren't I like auditioning for these parts? And then this was sort of like, no, I'm a club owner now. Like, this is who I am now. And kind of being a mentor to these younger club promoters. Something that uh, has always struck me is why people are so invested in redeeming Lindsay Lohan and talking about that road to redemption for her, especially given that she's done some problematic stuff, right? Like she's done some stuff with the Turkish government. She may have tried to kidnap a child on Instagram live. Uh, how do you square that with people's desire to see her make a comeback? Well, first of all, she is prodigiously talented. Like in her heyday, she really was this incredible actress and this incredible comedian. And I think that there's just a lot of compassion for Lindsay. Like she's talked about her substance abuse and she's told Oprah that she was an addict. She spent a lot of time in rehab. Um, I don't know, I think people, and first of all, she's just like a really compelling on-screen presence. So I think people want to see her. And then, you know, she's been involved in domestic abuse, like both with her father and with her former fiance. and. I don't know, I think people root for her. Yeah, you mentioned that she was very compelling to watch. Um, when do you think her career was at its prime? I mean, Mean Girls, right? Like it's- Forever. Forever, Mean Girls forever. Um, she hosted SNL three times in two years. Like she was just a huge star. And I mean, I guess you could say like right before she was kind of like gallivanting around town with Britney in Paris. That kind of was the tipping point. But yeah, she was this huge Disney star, like a huge kind of like cash cow for them from Parent Trap through Herbie Fully Loaded. And then I guess, yeah, Mean Girls was probably the peak. She was also in a Prairie Home Companion. Like also a, a Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, like she made Meryl Streep cry. You know, like <laughs> that's 
not nothing. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned this massive cultural imprint that she had, and Corona tweeted, let's not forget Lindsay Lohan launched Chris Pine's career. <laughs> How else did she influence the early 2000s? You mentioned that infamous Britney Paris Hilton photo. Um, well, I guess this might not be the most positive cultural influence, but she heavily influenced the bling ring. So, damn, you are really taking me back here, oh, dropping my memory. Oh, yeah. So she was kind of the patron saint of the bling ring, and um, Rachel Lee, who was sort of the ringleader of the group, like, Lindsay was the person she wanted to rob most. And I think that they were echoing the same kind of need that Lindsay expresses. And I mean, obviously Lindsay expressed it through maybe stealing a couple of things, maybe accidentally, maybe not, walking out of a store with a necklace, taking that woman's fur coat, if you remember, some throwback uh, thefts. But I don't know, she just seems to have a real need for love and for people around her that I think is maybe pretty common in people who are child actors, and especially given the kind of family that she grew up with. I mean, there is so much to unpack there, and unfortunately we don't have time to get to all of it. But uh, before we have to wrap things up, I do want to ask you one question, which is if you could go back in time and give a young Lindsay Lohan an Oscar, would it be for her performance in The Parent Trap or Life Size? Oh, girl, it's got to be The Parent Trap. I think that that has got to be one of the best British accents done by an American <laughs> actress, act, actress like ever. I don't know, like Meryl Streep level for sure. She also she plays two roles in The Parent Trap. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I wonder if we are so hungry for uh, Lindsay Lohan to do right that uh, we're already throwing it all the way, all the way back to a movie from when she was a kid. Mm, that's pretty telling. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And don't go away. Up next, David and I are reading your tweets. Welcome back. What a show. My what God. a show. I am recovering from that Terry Crews interview because I feel like I've been reborn. It was really amazing, and he was very forthcoming. And y'all had a lot to say about the interview itself. Stephanie Gale tweeted, Watching Terry Crews on AM to DM this morning not only gave me life, but I think it made my heart bigger. Oh, God, yes. I mean, what he was saying about the need to listen to people and uh, listen to women and listen to minority groups is like, I, you, no one has said it better. And he is just like the poster child for this stuff, right? And that apparently really resonated on the timeline as well because uh, a lot of folks were tweeting about how he is basically like the next Oprah or a lot like Oprah in that way. I would watch uh, the Terry Crews show with, in which he gives out his favorite things, I'm just saying, because he is a gem of a human being, <laughs> right? Uh, Pix Maven tweeted, OMG, I love Terry Crews destroying that fire tweet button. We need him in this segment all the time now, you know. Uh, I agree, FYI, uh, keen viewers of the show may have noticed that he had a different colored uh, button because we were so concerned <laughs> that he was going to smash it. Uh, luckily it survived. I told him he could because we have a spare one, right? He could just break that thing, but no. No one will ever be able to push that button again, even remotely close. We're going to retire the segment. That's Sorry, it. everyone. That's it. Totally done. <laughs> well, thank you to our guests, Dan Vergano, Zoe Tillman, Nidhi Prakash, Terry Crews, Samara Freemark, Stephanie McNeil, and Anna Peel. Isaac and Saeed will be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. They're back from Vegas, so stay tuned. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. We did it.